Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another Monday morning edition of Inside the Firm. Uh, your host today is Alex Gore. I'm here with Clifton of testfit.io. Uh, Clifton has been a guest we know at least once. I suspect twice. I don't know <laughs> why, but maybe we've just talked a couple different times. Um, and we'll go over the background and what TestFit is and all that. But just to chat, Clifton, you just had a baby. Boy, girl? When did, little, little baby girl, Savannah. Little baby girl. And yeah. you guys can't see him, but he looks tired. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> now I'd say, I'd say the years of trying to innovate architecture uh, led up to me being exhausted to begin with, but uh, baby's a physical exhaustion. So. Yeah, this is a whole new level. Yeah. What, so I have, I have two, uh, two kids and they still like, they still harass my nights and I refer to them, <laughs> you know, to people in the office as my wife's friends. That's how <laughs> so my wife's, my wife's friends kept me up last night. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how bad it is. I mean, she, she's been doing okay. Like we, I mean, for people that don't have kids, like if they sleep, you know, more than three hours, it's pretty exciting. Um, and I think last night she slept about five and a half. So yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. But then you hear like some of my friends after like three months, their second child, they're on like the same track as me, as you know, as us, uh, slept eight hours every night ever since like the third month. And I was, I almost wanted to choke them and be like, <laughs> <laughs> well, is like the, the, isn't like the, the theory that like the last uh, trimester, like we'd actually need four trimesters, but because our brains get so big uh, in the womb, we got to be born uh, uh-uh. before we're really ready. And so uh, anyways, this is what our doctor was saying was like, you know, after three months, uh, the babies, they change drastically. Um, I don't know. Yep. No, I've heard similar things. So, so yeah, well, good luck on your journey. Um, <laughs> oh, that's great, man. I highly recommend it. Like it just puts perspective on, on everything. Um, when you have a kid, it, it, it's the best thing in the world. I, it's a people that don't, I, I, I'm that uh, person that like is always encouraging it probably like way too much you know, <laughs> uh, but let's talk, let's talk test fit. And, and I kind of want to break this into two different segments for people. So like first explain what test fit is, but not all the stuff that you've added. And I know this might be hard because like you've been continually on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are a software company. We make more features. Yeah. Yes. So like, don't mention structural MEP, you know, all that, okay. like the beginning what was the beginning just idea, the, the core thing that people were using it for? The, the core problem for feasibility tools in, or feasibility studies in AEC and, and development, any, any kind of feasibility around buildings, is that it's inherently a math problem. Um, and I feel like architects try to treat it like a, like a building design problem. Um, and mind you, the way that I constrain the, that, what I just said is, is commodity buildings only, like apartments, office buildings, that kind of stuff. 
Um, so we started out just basically providing a, a spatial math tool. Um, you know, you generate a thing and it draws some building bits and it gives you the idea of, you know, how much is here. Uh, and then you can do all the math kind of on top of that. Um, where things have shifted uh, is from like a feasibility tool into what I'm calling a configurator. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, the, the promise of configurator technology is that it gives users the ability to have mass customization while in a, a highly constrained environment. Um, and in order to pick up efficiency and speed and, and things, you know, for the design process, you need to constrain your environment, um, your modeling environment. So lo long-term, you know, plan is, is configurator. Um, Short-term plan is, you know, we're a feasibility tool that, that helps solve math problems. Yeah. And like the beginning or what I would call the core, just from my perspective, is that you can lay out unit types, residential unit types in mm. an IBC compliant manner, meaning, oh, there's stairs that can be put in and there's distances how far you need to be from stairs. There's elevators that you can put in. Um, you can configure parking, you know, and commercial. And it's a basic way to test fit you know, what you can, <laughs> I wonder where you guys came up with that name, <laughs> where you can, what you can put on, on a site. Um, right. And you're continually, you know, I get the email updates, you know, adding new features, adding more nuances, fixing bugs or, you know, whatever you want to call them um, to, to, to build on that. And it seems like what I'm interested in too is, so all, all of that is like a product in itself and is useful mm -hmm. just in itself. Um, because it's honestly hard. It's hard to, you know, let's say you have five unit types and you got to lay out, okay, what's the most efficient, what's going to fit on here, you know, to do that in Revit and other things is, is, is kind of difficult. So test fit, you literally like you can draw, it's like you're drawing a line mm -hmm. and apartments or whatever you want to call them will go on both sides and, and kind of fill in for you. And then you can put height parameters and Parameters. Yeah, I, I think the easiest way for, for people fam familiar with BIM, the easiest way to, to envision this is like in Revit, you have families that are wall-based, you have families that are, are floor-based, you have things that are based on other things, and then you have things that are, are core to buildings like walls and floors. <clears throat> uh, buildings themselves uh, are no different. Uh, buildings can be uh, street hosted, they can be parking garage hosted, they can be... Uh, irregular shape site hosted um, and there's there's just nobody out there really creating a you know like a family editor for buildings <laughs> right. um, and really I think that's that's where where we're headed is is towards you know configurator technology where it's the highest level building components uh, and how they're allocated across uh, a plan and the way you get to that is by allowing a modeling environment, a constrained modeling environment where, where things are, are hosted at the next scale up. Um, now, if you take that thought even further up, you know, there's cities that are, are hosted on things too. There's cities that are hosted on the intersection of two highways. Uh, there's cities that are hosted on the confluence of rivers. Um, so 
there is structure built into the built environment all around us. Uh, and the goal of TestFit is to codify that into algorithms and then unleash those algorithms to the users. Nice. Nice. I like that. Some, you're taking some steps forward from that multiple different ways. But mm-hmm. one I saw was structural. What are you doing there? Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, when you're in a startup, the, the operations is, you know, you build a thing and you sell it and then you get feedback uh, from your, your paying customer. Um, and before you have paying customers, you're getting feedback from prospects. But paying customer feedback has got to be, it's gold. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the, the data that you need to improve your business, improve your product, improve your offering. Um, and part of that feedback for, for buildings has been, um, well, this parking garage is great, but there's no columns in it and I can't trust it because, uh, it's probably way too efficient. And, you know, so, so you start to see like where the cracks start to start to form when, when you start modeling everything or modeling more than just a, more than just a rectangle, you have to start modeling everything. Um, because you have to have a highly detailed constrained environment. So that way people will trust what you're building uh, <clears throat> or what they're seeing on the screen. Mm-hmm. So taking the, the customer feedback for, for basically two years was we need structural, we need structural, we need structural, we need structural. And I had always been kind of fighting that uh, because I'm like, you know, it's rectangles. We're drawing, you're allocating area on a plan. Um, and it, it really didn't click for me until I, I met Rob Otani, who's... Um, CTO at Thornton Tomasetti. Hmm. Uh, and, and we, we kind of kicked up a, a conversation in Atlanta uh, at a conference a few years ago. Um, and you know, this is why, this is how important conferences are. Like you go in and you, you create these relationships and drastically can change how you think about the built environment. Um, and we, we start we started talking about column sizing and, you know, what are the shortfalls or pitfalls of, of how generative design is done today um, you know, the, the constraint environments out there are, are not great. Uh, you know, oftentimes they're built on top of dynamo, which is very slow. Um, grasshopper is a little bit faster, but still doesn't really embed the BIM process as much as I, I hoped it would. Uh, so what you, where you end up is you have to create this whole constraint environment. Like if you want to do any kind of building design optimization in, in the, traditional generative design sense, you have to build out an obscene amount of, of constraints. Um, and just in, in the journey of building out TestFit, like heading towards this, op, this constraint environment that could, that could be used to optimize buildings, um, our customers demanded, you know, structural. <laughs> uh, which, you know, if you, look at, if you look at your hard costs and your pro forma, uh, Alex, for some of y'all's deals, like structural's, what, 30, 40% of the, the cost of the building? It's a huge portion of it. And, and I mean, are you, like, you know, it's like, how far do we want to go into the weeds? Like what type of structural are we doing? Po- uh, podium? Are we doing post tension? Are we doing all what, you know, like that's, you know, I don't want to derail you because I think this is going great, but like what's hard to explain to clients too is like, okay, you just want a, a test fit of the site and literally like sometimes not even using test fit. But I have to understand, even if it's a small site and I'm laying out eight to 10 townhomes, right? Those townhomes, let's say they're 18 foot wide, 20 foot wide by, you know, 36 foot deep. <clears throat> when the sites are so small and they're going to spend, you know, a million dollars on the site or what, whatever it is, 
Well, if I forget that in between those townhomes, I'm going to use a system where there's four inches in between it in each townhome, meaning like a one inch air gap, a two inch firewall and a one inch air gap. And I go eight inches over in my property lines, like, well, do I need to lose a unit? And then does the perform and not work? And did I just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's probably oh, what you hear man. all the time is like, and, and I don't know maybe it's not complaining, but like, Hey, this is great. But like, it's like, how do you do something quick, but then also think of everything at the same time. So it can, yeah, it, it's yeah. Yeah. Kit, kit of parts is the only way to do that. Um, and what a kit of parts is, is, is typically you'll have some piece of your building that is modeled all the way to like a CD level. Um, and so what we do is we create proxies of those CD level, um, uh, piece of the building. So it could be in, the, in this case it could be a unit. Like let's say you have a unit, you've built it 15 times already in, in a Denver submarket um, and you want to reuse that unit. Well, that thing's already been documented. We already know what's in that unit. We already know how much linear feet of walls in there. We know how many linear feet of cabinetry is in there. Um, and so actually capturing those unit plans and reusing them is, is one of the biggest money makers that our architects uh that's how they monetize test fit like if i don't have to draw new unit plans uh i'm gonna save a lot of money um but the only way in my mind to get to that high level of detail in a short period of time is to use kit of parts is to use already established well-designed things and then just put them together like legos yeah and and did i derail you from your structural talk where or maybe you are <laughs> look, you know, like like when I was when I was looking at generative design stuff back in 2015, um, right when I graduated college, I started working for a developer, and my job was to do site plans. You know, I was drawing site plans all day, every day, and uh, it got to the point where I I needed to do something else to automate some of the most boring aspects of of that, or else I was going to quit. Like I just couldn't do it anymore. Um. And the generative design tools out there, like you could, you could build it, like you could build test fit inside Dynamo. You could build it inside Grasshopper. It would take an obscene amount of time. Nobody else would know how to use it. There's like no good way to, to track. Well, I guess they you use GitHub, but there's, you know, but then I also have to learn how to be, be basically a software engineer. Um, and, you know, after going through like, it could be like a 12 month process to actually get the script where I want it to be. Uh, you're working for people that uh, don't understand the value of creating, you know, your own software inside these AEC firms. Um, you know, so long-term our goal is to do like every single script you've ever seen someone put together on Dynamo that does something good for, for buildings like that'll be in test fit. Um, I I'm kind of sick of, of, of the, this is such a controversial comment, but like the, the, the people that use Dynamo to create building form, that's not what Dynamo is good at. It's good at like changing 15,000 door tags all at once. Like that's what it's good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and by extension, like refinery is all, all refinery is, is Dynamo uh, just with a, a, a nonlinear optimization. I don't even know what refinery is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, like you said, no, like no impacts in people's brain space because nobody can use it. it. What is it? Just another 
yeah, it's just another another dynamo thing. Yeah, gotcha. Well, it's a it's a it's a it's it's what it's Autodesk Autodesk generative design tool that was like a, a project that then got killed and then got re resurrected and anyway. So there, look, what people really needed, like what this industry really needed, I th- I, I think was a a purpose built generative design application. You know, it's not an add on, it's not some plug in, like whole company focused on, on really implementing this technology. Right. Yeah. So for structural, are you, how far have you gotten? Are you just in the parking lot or are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting because in the process of, of, of learning all this stuff uh, or integrating structural, like you, and we're not just designing one building at TestFit. Like we have to design every building for everybody all at once. Right. So you have to create, systems for how things should work and it took a while to get the columns in the garage working uh and right now you know the next step with with uh thor tomasetti is to go to the next level we're gonna you know how do you course columns through the through the building uh how do we how do we adjust tributary areas you know as as they change across the building um uh, we're gonna implement uh, a step exit height tool uh probably before march i'm hoping um where, you know, you can have a setback plane and that's going to change how structural is done. Um, so we're going to get to a point where like you'll have an SD level structural with the click of a button. Uh, but for now it's, it's just in the parking garage. Yeah. So <clears throat> like the concept for me and a lot of my listeners, you know, okay, I understand test fit as test fitting an architectural solution of unit counts and, and layout, but, but the goal at least for that section too, is like, no, no, you can test fit your structural too. You can yep. test fit your structural. Um, yeah, we want to give architects tools that they've never had before. Um, you know, so for example, uh, I hired Nat McDonald, he was MEP guy at, at Bro Happold. He's my MEP director now. Um, you know, he's in charge of mechanical, electrical plumbing uh, and kind of strategically thinking about, about those things. Um, and it used to be that you'd have to go to an MEP guy and be like, all right, well, how, how large, you know, do I need to make my, my, ventilation, you know, shafts. Yeah. And, chases and yeah. Like, like there'd be a coordination call just to get, you know, on, on the, on the board and you know, that's going to be the next thing we're, we're going to attack is, is how do you automatically size something for an architect uh, in the blink of an eye? So that way they don't have to worry about an SD's MEP. Like it's going to be there. It's ready to go. Yep. Yep. Um, you said in a tweet, I can't wait to get rid of these inefficient split systems. Yep. What is it? What, what do you mean? Uh, At first I was like, wait, are you talking mini splits? Are you talking? What do you? Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So, so in, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Texas guy. I'm from Texas. Um, air conditioning is life. Life is air conditioning <laughs> here. Um, and, and much is the same for most of the Sunbelt cities here in, in, uh, in the U S. Um, and the way that, uh, we pay for electricity as we submeter the building and, you know, people then can pay for their own, own, own air conditioning, you know, whether or not they want to blast it full time or not, you know, it's on their own. Um, and that's, that's why we have these split systems. So you'll have 300 condenser units on the top of a, on the top of your building with refrigerant lines going all the way down right. and back. And, you know, when you have 300 of the same system, 
uh, <laughs> it's always more efficient to consolidate to a larger, you know, possibly even simpler system. Uh, and we're getting to a, to a place, I think, in in our our culture where energy efficiency is is actually going to be kind of a, a moral responsibility. Um, and the split systems are not efficient from an energy standpoint. Uh, they uh, are, you know, pushing refrigerant sometimes hundreds of feet, and that's inefficient. Uh, so the the end user is paying more for for their air conditioning than they actually think they are. And and right, the line right next to it is also pushing it hundreds of feet, but it's yeah. just yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's wild. Um, and I, I someone needs to do something about it. Uh, I don't think architects uh, are in a place to to really push for, you know, other, uh, energy, uh, or systems, uh, cause developers, you know, that what they want to do is submeter the building. They don't want to pay for any of this electricity. It just makes the deal a lot more simple. Um, but if we can prove in an inside a feasibility tool, um, you know, here's the cost savings on shafts here, you know, like to actually model the deltas between these two things, then we'll hopefully have an opportunity to get, uh, maybe a more efficient energy solution. Right. Well, and too, I know there's an option for water. We couldn't split it in our development that we built. And then we had to have, but at the individual units, we could buy these smart meters. So then it just smart meters and, and developers could link that to, you know, like their um, monthly rent or, or however it works. So like the technology is out there so that you could measure it at the point, you know, not, not have a whole separate system for it. Um, yeah. Yep. And it's a, there's another thing that was really funny when I, when I was working in development, um, you know, we, we talked about, we had this huge roof in I think it was in Phoenix and Phoenix is like great for solar. Um, and the solar discussion stopped when we realized that we would have to like, like as a utility company to then submit, like to then allow our residents to, to buy the solar from us. Like it, it just, there's, there's regulatory red tape around this stuff that is pretty annoying too. Well, it's funny you say that. I was going to bring that up too. I know people in Denver that are doing the solar and becoming a utility, but it's like a lesser type of utility. It's not, you know, as if you're XL Energy um, so that they can buy all the solar and then sell it to their people too. So, um, but right. But like the, 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 solar is getting so cheap, right? It's like, it, it could be another, another, line item on your NOI um, and you have all this roof space, like you're building, you're basically building a surface that can be used for solar. So like the development guys, like they could, they could do it. They just need, you know, we need to create a system where they can actually see like, here's the cost benefit analysis. Yeah. They're not, they're not even having the discussion today because it's taken for granted that it's just too complicated to um, become a utility. And, you know, Colorado is probably a bit more progressive in that than, than say Arizona would be. Um, right. I, I think um, for me, you know, I, in the back of my head, there's this fight against bureaucracy on like <laughs> every single level, like on the corporate level, on the government level, like let's just, those two are enough. And um, I think, I think what you're doing helps that, you know, the tools that you're providing. And I know that you said it nicely and I can't remember what you said, but like it was something, any useful, you know, dynamo script or anything that can be helpful for a building, you want to basically codify that in, in test fit to essentially give architects 
and or developers, you know, the power to make those smart decisions. Yeah. Now, and then we talked about, you know, structural, you're developing MEP further. Where in that, in that thought process, where are you at with, um, or are you even going to do a code fit or a cost fit, you know? So yeah, we, we do costing uh, or we do quantity takeoff automatically um, right now. Um, and that enables our, our, we have, we have GCs that pay and use test fit religiously. Um, and they're doing, they're doing conceptual modeling for, you know, sometimes for architects, they'll ask them, okay, you know, how much is this going to cost? And so they'll, they'll run some permutations and test fit and figure out, you know, here's how much it would cost. Uh, but I'm not, I don't think, to, I don't think we're ever going to get in the business of actually supplying, you know, cost numbers, like the actual numbers for cost. Um, because, you know, on the surface, it seems like, oh, well, there's probably just some API out there for pricing. But, you know, as you, when you get in the weeds, when it comes to pricing. In reality, like nobody really knows how to do pricing. <laughs> uh, so really, it's it's guys that, that have a, a great track record that can really feel the movements in the market. Those are the guys that are really great. And um, it's hard to get them to, to, to tell you their their secrets. Right. Uh, so. We're going to do the quantity takeoff stuff, continue to do it. Um, we'll be releasing a, a hard cost tool that has right now our hard, our hard costing tool, I think has six buckets. The next one's going to have probably 30 or 40, um, you know, like plate size and, you know, how many elevator stops and stair stops and or flights of stairs and, you know, just, just basic stuff that these, that the GC guys want. Um, and from, from a code standpoint, uh, you know, we, we try to keep the life safety stuff automated and, and compliant. Um, cause whenever I, you know, when I was planning buildings and, you know, it's really annoying to draw a perfect building and you're like, Oh crap, I got to fit like three more stairs in here than I thought I had to do you know previously. Uh, but further, you know, IBC compliant, you know, getting even deeper into like an FPA 13 with all the little clauses and stuff like I, I'm kind of hopeful that upcodes is, is going to take the lead on that. And then we can just ping them for, for information. Yeah. Um, because you know, the thing like we could build it, but uh, if nobody's asking for it yet. So why? Build yeah. It? The, I think you're right. That general approach, the big ones are what matters. And honestly getting into the weeds, it's not like it's just one weed bush. It's, <laughs> it's 1400 pages of, of weed bushes. Um, and yeah. every code book that I read. No, no, but, but when you, when you get under, when you like, when you get under the bush, like into the bush, you find out there's like a hornet's nest in there too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I thought this was just weeds. No, this is hornets nope. and fire ants too. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny because they always say like, even to this day, even them writing the codes, they still admit that there's interpretations. Yep. So it's like, okay, you can't even write it clear enough. Uh, we've even had, there was one, I can't remember what it was, but they had a du double negative in there. And we finally, <laughs> said, we finally took out the double negative and we said, oh, so what you meant to write was we can do this instead of it's yep. like, it is not allowed. I don't know. It was weird as hell. It was like, oh, so we can. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, another thing is like, like when you're building these algorithms, um, you know, like for, for, for example, uh, stair pressurization, you know, that's, an, that's something we've looked at several times because we do high rises. Um, 
there are some jurisdictions where like they they basically took that piece of the of the the code like i think in dallas like they're just like eh, we don't care about that and they just like stripped it from the uh from from ibc uh and then they said oh like we don't we don't care about 20 foot dead ends you can have 50 foot dead ends (laughs) yeah so like the code while slightly objective is not really objective because of interpretation and then also it changes like no matter where you are so the solution that we came up with was okay we're just going to create parameters that people can just plug in whatever they want for what these you know what this rule is yep and and uh uh good luck i codes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i like those guys too um what are what what can people test fit and test fit uh, so today we've got a pretty powerful road uh, editing and modeling tool uh, for street networks. Um, that that one is probably not marketed, but uh, it's awesome. You don't have to like draw intersections with the little fillets and, and stuff. Like it's just, it's awesome. You can do angled parking dynamically. <clears throat> so roads, uh, parking. Um, surface parking, structured parking, rectangular parking, precast parking, prefab parking, 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 any kind of parking. Um, and we count the parking stalls uh, automatically. So you don't have to count parking spaces. It was like the thing that drove me nuts, counting parking spaces. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you'd have people like three people would count the same garage and there'd be like 480 stalls, 479 stalls, 481 stalls. And you're like, Everyone count again. Yeah. Redo. Um, Multifamily, high density multifamily, you know, high rise, uh, mid rise, low rise, uh, anything with structured parking is pretty much handled today. Um, The only kind of typology that we don't have something for is garden apartments, uh, which is what we're working on right now, at least in the United States. Did you say townhomes? Do you have townhomes? Yeah, we got townhomes. Row yep. homes, whatever. Yeah, row homes, townhomes, yep. Um, there is a parameter for gap between buildings. Uh, so while I don't want to publicly say you can do tracked homes, uh, users could on their own figure out a way to do tracked homes. Mm-hmm. Um, or, well, are you saying though, but could you do a neighborhood development? Yeah. Like single family neighborhood mm-hmm. development. You could, yep. yep. And the roads can be curvy? Yeah, yeah, curve roads, yep. Okay. You know, neighborhoods love to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, we can talk about traffic calming and how self-driving cars is going to change how we do that. But like we have all these suburbs, all these curved roads because it slows people down. Um, and what happens when people don't have to drive anymore? Like we are going to have with all these really stupid looking organic cities uh, that are inefficient all in the name of slowing people down from driving. All right. So the, the topic of discussion is what, what are we doing? Uh, so lower density housing. Uh, and then we released a IBC compliant floor plate generator for commercial buildings. It's got a bathroom configurator inside it. It generates compliant IBC bathrooms. We got, is that related to occupancy? Can you place it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's driven by occupancy. Yeah. Uh, so like you can, you can adjust how much assembly space you have and like, you can see the bathrooms like explode. <laughs> nice. um, it's really funny. Yeah. And then, the, well, the staircases are also dynamic too. So you need like, you know, there's X number of people per inch and then the, yep. like the, the width of the stairs slides starts to get wider. 
Um, and you can see really quickly, like why stadiums go to like the sort of like giant wide ramp model, because there's a lot of exit discharge that needs to happen. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I think that's mostly, you know, hotels, like nobody's building hotels right now. Uh, modular. We've seen a lot of traction, honestly, like with modular, which is funny because there's very few modular buildings going up in this country. Yeah. It's modular is weird. Were you at the International Building Conference last year, 2020? It was right before COVID. Literally, like, right before it. No, I wasn't Um, there. Anyways, uh, they gave a report. You know, modular. Everyone talks about modular. We're even talking about, like, architectural modulars and everything should be modular. And the economist went through the numbers, and he's like, well, everyone thinks that that's going to, you know, blow up or be the future. In the past eight years, it has not grown. It's declined in actual building products, which is crazy because you think that that's the way. <laughs> um, and and, uh, and we should ask SoftBank how they feel about the modular. <laughs> yeah, did they invest in uh, whatever that firm was? Oh, Katera. Yeah. Yeah, and and they, th- you know, just that heavy infrastructure cost of having to plant down a building, you know, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, we won't. That's a side note. My last question. Um, Pricing. What is the pricing module on this? How does that work? If someone if if someone's interested. Yeah. Uh, all right. So he, here's my mentality on pricing. Uh, we in, in 2017 we ship test fit. We did this. How much? Like we, we yeah. licked our finger, put it up in the air, and we said, "How much are we going to charge?" We picked 250 bucks. Yep. Um, and so if if people have bought in uh for you know using test fit at 250 bucks per month you know yep. SaaS company uh i've never raised the price on them from that very beginning um and i i hope to continue to to keep rewarding firms that get in early um by keeping the price you know the price is low when you get in early um so we about two years ago we we changed the price from 250 to 375 uh, and then, uh, we yeah, learned seat, about, right? uh, uh, just, just the, just the per one user. Um, yeah. but if you get, you get more than one user, there's discounts and stuff. So it gets a little bit more, you know, economical. Um, then we raised it to, to 375 a month. Um, and, uh, and then year, actually, we just had the discussion this morning. We're going from 375 to, to 475. Gotcha. Um, starting at the, probably the end of this month, end of January, 2021. So, so hopefully this, well, nope, man, I don't know if this is going to come out in time, but <laughs> as soon as you can. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, if you're a sole proprietor, like as an architect and you see 475 a month and you're like, that's way too much. Like, here's my, here's my advice to you come talk to us about what you want to do with test fit because there's other ways that we want to be compensated, like stories about how you're using it or, um, you know, uh, ideas <laughs> is another thing. And, uh, really like, I feel like we've created a community of trust. Like we're, we're all about privacy. Like you keep your data. Um, and, like the other day we had in our chat bubble, somebody was like, Hey, like I just found a typo on your website page here. Like, can you guys fix that? Um, and I don't think that person would have cared to do that if they weren't invested 
in, in what we are doing as a company and, and what we're doing moving forward. Uh, so yeah, pricing is, is, is going to be continuously going up. Um, at some point, uh, it will stop going up because we don't need to make it go up anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you, when you more than quadruple the tools, uh, feature set and usability and stability in under a year and you're only increasing the price by, you know, 30%. Um, you know, I feel like we're still providing a significant value to these to architects and, and developers. I mean, but real-time deal prototyping or RTDP, uh, which is a, a method that we use when we work with developers. Um, I've got two architects on my team now. Uh, so we do some of this real-time deal prototyping um, as a service, we bill 500 bucks an hour for them to come in and just like, we run test fit model for them. And, you know, they say, Oh, we want, you know, the building to be five stories. And then you just like, you change the number from three to five and they're paying you to, to input the numbers. Um, and so what I'm saying is like architects can monetize technology in ways that they're probably not thinking about because what they're used to is draw a site plan, scan it in, put it on, put it into InDesign, put it on the title block. Like they're not selling experience. They're just sending a site plan. Um, but when you do real-time deal prototyping, you can hear what values this developer actually has in real time, what they're concerned about. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, you can't do it with trace paper cause you can't tabulate fast enough for them to understand what is going on in the deal. I agree a hundred percent. Um, and that honestly, like that last segment might've been the only thing that was valuable in this whole podcast. Like <laughs> guys, you can monetize technology in ways that you could never imagine. Yeah. I, I literally wrote down real time deal prototyping. I think every listener should and start to look into it. And if you're going to look into it, go to testfit.io. Um, where else to follow you or any other, uh, Sum it up for us, Clifton. Uh, just add me on LinkedIn. Uh, I normally just accept everybody, even the insane salespeople that are trying to sell me stuff. Um, and then on Twitter, Twitter's got a pretty good community for AEC. Um, it's not toxic, surprisingly, which is great, uh, which is funny for Twitter. Uh, and then uh, honestly, like Hypar Discord might be, might be the next sort of like AEC sort of collective area, but... Um, we we love our friends over at High Par, and they've created a great community there. So I'm on there. Um, anywhere you want to meet, you know, reach out, go for it. Uh, we've also got you know several other people that work here. Um, you know, Nats, you know, MEP. So you can look them up if you want to talk MEP engineering. Um, and then uh, we we got uh, a former BIM Track alum, Alexine Gordon Stewart. She's kind of going to be running our messaging, marketing, and she'd be another great person to reach out to. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. I thought this, the whole thing was valuable, but I'm biased. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll talk to you in a year or two. Thanks a lot. Oh, sooner than that. <laughs> yeah. Sooner than that.